Okay. All right. Hello. Um, so the CDC just put out a report today about suicides in the United States over the past 17 years, 1999 to um, now, or I guess 2016 was the latest year. And they discovered that suicides have gone up by 30% in the past 17 years, 30%. Um, so 49 out of 50 states saw an increase in the number of um, suicides over the past 17 years. Nevada was the only state that didn't. Delaware had a 5.9% increase, and that was the smallest increase in the country. Um, there was one state, I just missed it. Oh, North Dakota, 57.6% increase in suicides. 57.6% increase in suicides in the past 17 years. Um, 25 states had a bigger than 30% increase in suicides in the past 17 years. Uh, okay, I just have lots of random stuff, but there's, there's a, a sort of a, an overarching idea that, that I've been thinking about. Um, so I'm just going to give some statistics first, and then some thoughts are going to come out about it. So this is since 1999, uh, the links to the study, the links to some coverage by NPR, and to this was inspired. I, I was inspired to do this by uh, Jeff Ginter's um, video about this earlier today. He didn't go into the statistics. It, it made me interested in the statistics, of the, the specifics of what this report said. So uh, it's an inspiring, I mean sobering, but inspiring uh, talk that Jeff gave earlier today. And so he inspired me to go and read the study and to figure out what's behind it. Um, so I found all these statistics, which I'm going to try and, and list out for you. I don't really have it all sort of um, glued together into an idea yet. So um, out of all of the suicides over the past 17 years that they studied, 54% um, of these suicides did not have a mental health condition. No mental health condition. 46% did have some mental health history. So guns shouldn't be given to people that are a danger to society or to themselves. Um, I don't know what definition is, like what kinds of mental health issues make you a danger. Um, there are some mental health issues I would think that, that don't, but, but just all they say is mental health conditions, 46%. So yeah, we shouldn't give guns to the mentally ill who are a danger to people, but that doesn't account for the 54% of people that had no mental health history at all. Um, more than half of the suicides in the past 17 years has been with a gun. So 20% of those in the suicides in the past 17 years, 20% of them without mental health issues has served in the military. 15% with mental health issues served in the military of all these people that committed suicide. Um, and that doesn't, this doesn't even include this 17, this 30% increase over the past 17 years does not even include the non-fatal self-harms, which is up by 42%. So the suicides have been up by 30, are up by 30% on average. The non-fatal self-harms are up by 42% over this same period. So the people who were successful at killing themselves are up 30%. 
I would think that a significant number of those people, the non-fatal self-harms it's called, are attempted suicide. So the problem is even bigger than just this 30% leads to, you know, believe. The study says that suicides and self and uh, non-fatal self-harm, so I'm going to say unsuccessful suicides. I know that's overly broad, but it's just too hard to say all those words over and over again. So both suicide, successful and unsuccessful, cost $70 billion a year in medical issues and in the loss of work. So, okay, so it costs a lot of money when someone commits suicide. It costs society as far as medical uh, and uh, the loss of what they would have done, not to mention the effect on their families, their friends, society. Um, so it says other contributing circumstances to suicides are economic problems, access to uh, economic problems, access how easy it is to access lethal means which they they don't go into guns in the article but the npr article makes it clear that it is referring mostly to guns so uh access to guns and i don't know how opioids fits into as far as suicide or not but clearly that's a big problem so access to lethal means um significant increases significant increases in 44 states 30% increase in 25 states. Half of the country has a 30, greater than 30% increase. Males have increased in 34, significant increases by males committing suicide in 34 states. Females committing suicide has dramatically, significantly increased in 43 states and in the U.S. overall. Okay, 76%. 77%, 76.8% of all suicides were male, as best as I understand it. 77% of all suicides were male. 48.5% um, of all suicides were by guns, by guns. Among those who committed suicide, they either had a history of mental illness or did not have a history of mental illness. Those without a history of mental illness, 55% killed themselves with a gun. 26.9% killed themselves with hanging or strangling or suffocation. Sorry, morbid, but it is. And 10.4% of those without a mental illness, so without a mental illness, 55% guns, 27% hanging, strangulation, suffocation, 10% poison, including alcohol. With mental health, these numbers are lower. So instead of 55 for without mental health, Gun deaths are, instead of 55, 40.6% with mental health. Okay, so hanging and suffocation and strangulation, 26.9%. If you don't have mental history of mental illness, it goes up to 31.3% if you do have a mental illness. So guns is significantly lower if you don't have a mental illness as far as how you do it. And hanging and suffocation is significantly higher if you have a mental illness. And then uh, poison is also higher with, with a mental illness. <sighs> okay. So it goes through a lot of just statistics of comparing those without mental illness to those with mental illness among all of those who have committed suicide over the past 17 years. It compares without mental illness to those with. So relationship problems, those who, those who experienced relationship problems and loss that contributed to the suicide without mental illness, 45%. With mental illness, 39.6%.
intimate partner problems without mental illness, I'm going to say without. Without mental illness, without was 30.2%, with was 24.1%, so it's significantly lower. Arguments and conflicts that contributed to the suicide, with, without mental illness, 17.5%, with mental illness, 13.6%. Per perpetuating interpersonal violence in the past month, without mental illness, 3%, with mental illness, 1.4%. So, so far, without mental illness, these things affect more. I just find that interesting. You would think that, I don't know, I would think that these things affect someone with a history of mental illness more. Life stressors, whatever the family said, they have life stress, so they couldn't pay their rent or bills, whatever that means, that contributed to the suicide. Um, was there an age group breakdown? Ah, yeah, remind me of that in just a moment. So, so far, all of these things are affecting, contributed to a suicide of those who didn't, were not have a history of mental illness, affected them more, as far as the suicide attempt or success, affected them more than those that did, that did have a history of mental illness. Life stresses, 50.5 versus 47.2, without, with. Recent criminal legal problems, 10.7% without, 6.2% with, that contributed to the suicide. Eviction, 4.3% without, 3.4% with. Recent impending crisis, two weeks before, recent or impending crisis in their lives, which sort of seems the same as life stressors, but I guess that's just whatever the report happened to say. So recent impending or impending crisis, two weeks before or after the suicide or attempt. 32.9% for without mental illness, 26% with mental illness. You might want to go to the, open the report in another thing, because I know this is hard to just hear these numbers just being pumped out. Physical health problems, 23.2% without mental illness, 21.4% with mental illness. All of these things, all, every single one so far, affects the suicide of a person without uh, a history of mental illness more than it does a person with mental illness. Uh, physical health problems, job and financial problems. Here's finally the first one that switches. 15.6% without mental illness, 16.8% of those with mental illness. Um, there's only three more. Recently released from jail. This is remarkable. Those who committed suicide that were recently released from jail among all the people who committed suicide that were recently released from jail, 25.7% did not have a history of mental illness. 8.7% did. I don't, I don't even know what this means. I just find these comparisons remarkable. I don't see how they fit in, but I just find this remarkable. So 25.7% of those who committed suicide that had been recently released from jail did not have a history of mental illness. 8.7% did, dramatically less. Correctional hospital, I uh, don't exactly know what that means, but those who were recently released from a correctional hospital, again, 43.7% for no mental illness, 33 for with. Last one, alcohol and substance abuse treatment, 24.2% um, without mental illness history, 11.6% with mental illness history. Okay, so the, all these statistics.
um, Kim, what was your question? Was there a breakdown of the age? Yes, there was. And here we go. The biggest age group that committed suicide over these past 17 years was 45 to 64 years old. I'm 46. Um, 45 to 64 years old, 45% of all, of, I believe this is, I'm correct, 45% of all of the suicides in the past 17 years the, uh, was people 45 to 64 years old. Um, okay, so I think I've gone through a significant amount of the, like, the raw data, and I appreciate your patience and just pumping out numbers. Um, so it, just as a, a quick aside, the methods that they used uh, to determine this information was all 50 states, the death certificates, the coroner medical examiner reports, and law enforcement reports. And, and I think 25 states or a, significant, a lot of states have specifically a violent death database, um, which they also used. Um, so I don't really have my head totally around this yet, but what this says to me is that our country is just completely broken. It's just broken. Um, it, it, shows, it shows how desperate we are for single pair. It shows how desperate we are to get guns out of our hands. And I don't, I'm not saying totally ban or what the specific method should be, but clearly access to guns, swimming in guns is not a great idea. Um, it shows how horrible our mental health system is care system is. Um, it shows that, okay, actually, prevention strategies. This, this will help me frame my thoughts here. So at the end of the report, it says prevention strategies. One of the prevention strategies given is strengthening economic support and stabilizing houses, stabling, stabilizing housing. And it just makes me think of you think we need some help economically? It's our government has been eliminating program after program after program after program and pushing us from depending on the government to depending on private industry, the whim of the profit for profit private industry. So everything we need is being taken away from us from the government and what's left except private industry. So they get to profit off of us, but not only profit off of us, they basically, it changes the rules, the law. So yeah, we have laws, but if they get rid of, if they get rid of our healthcare, and now the only people left are the private insurance industry, then they decide when we get care. So it's, it's not just changing that we can't depend on the government anymore. It's that the laws of the government don't even really matter because they're not nearly as much of a part of our lives anymore. Now we are dependent on the private insurance industry and growing, uh, the, it's increasingly on the private schooling industry. And therefore, that's out of the scope of the general law. So now we're at the whim and the mercy of private industry whose only goal is to maximize profit. 
So clearly the public good is not in their interests. So, okay, so basically austerity. Um, increasing austerity. That's, that's every single, you know, our austerity is just increasing every day. And I, I think this is not even just a problem of the United States. This is starting to become a problem globally um, because, you know, the billionaires don't really care about national borders. I mean, all you know, tax havens outside of the United States and so on. Um, so another prevention strategy in the report is teaching coping and problem solving skills. And that makes me think of hardly anybody understands MMT, modern monetary theory. And those who do not understand modern monetary theory, no, that's not the right way of saying it. If you want the powerless to have nice things like Medicare for all and federal job guarantee and a living wage and anything, anything, if you do not wrap your head around modern monetary theory, it is guaranteed that we will never get nice things ever because if you don't know it, if you don't understand modern money, then there is no way that you can understand the lies and the myths and the misinformation that almost all of us understand, that believe to be true, what our politicians tell us and what the media tells us. I'm not going to go into that right now. So we're not... So teaching coping and problem solving skills, especially early in life, that's the prevention strategy. So this is education. We're not educated on modern money, on how our economy really works. We are not educated on managing our money. And I'm not talking about the economy. I'm talking about just managing our own money for the present and for preparing for college and preparing for buying a house and just everything. And we're not educated on civics, on politics. None of it. So what are we learning? What are we learning? We're not really learning much that is helping us in this crisis. Uh, and especially early in life, it says. So we don't have anything, any pre-K, or at least, you know, elementary school starts at kindergarten, which is five years old. And Bernie Sanders says, as Bernie Sanders has said, I just heard him say it earlier today, the most important part of brain development occurs between one and four and therefore pre-k is absolutely critical okay next prevention strategy is promoting social connectedness to increase in a sense of belonging and this makes me think of the federal job guarantee because our jobs just like healthcare. We can't depend on the government for health care unless we're above the age of 65. But we just got, just today, the article came out that said that Medicare or Medicaid, either Medicare or Medicaid, one of the major programs they said, oh, it's going to go broke, is going to go broke even earlier than we thought. And it's total nonsense. And those who understand modern money get that it's total nonsense. Chuck Schumer shared it. Oh, it's going to go broke even earlier than we thought. No, it's not. No, it's not. The only way that it goes broke is if our politicians decide for it to go broke. And they are incentivized to make it go broke 
because they're paid by private industry who would rather profit off of our suffering than to give people things for free and they lose out on profit. And really depressing that Nina Turner shared it. One of my progressive idols, one of my very few progressive idols, Nina Turner, perpetuated this today in an Our Revolution email. Really depressing. So, okay, so healthcare, we're being pushed out of the, taken away, the government is taking away, taking that away from us. And what's left? The private industry. Same thing with jobs. There is no, uh, there is not much of an option in the government for public jobs. So what's left? Private industry, for-profit industry. So yeah, there are jobs. Unemployment is supposedly low. A natural unemployment. Um, you know, it's so easy to say unemployment is low. But what does that mean? It is so easy to say that the economy is doing great. But what does that mean? For who? Uh, unemployment is, is everybody, everybody that's employed is perfectly happy and satisfied and well-paid and good benefits and good treatment and, and not a terrible distance from their home. And I mean, what does that mean? Unemployment is low. Same thing with the, the, the stock market. The economy is doing fine. For who? For who? The stock market goes up and then the wealthier get wealthier. That doesn't mean that we're doing great. Um, federal job guarantee is Medicare for all for jobs. It's the public option for jobs. And the federal job guarantee solves so many more problems including social connectedness because if everybody can get a job and we don't have to worry about just for-profit jobs people can get a job for the public good and know that they can make a living they're not going to keep on getting raises but they will make a living wage with living benefits and that and it's local and it's local and that creates community it creates a sense of connectedness so the prevention strategy is pre in this CDC study about suicides increasing so dramatically, one of the prevention strategies is promoting social connectedness to increase sense of belonging. What could do that better than the federal job guarantee? And, and that would also address economic issues and so on. And even education, because now there, were, there will be so many more people that could assist in schools and with children and extra, extracurriculars and so on. Um, another prevention strategy, creating protective environments, reducing access to lethal means of at-risk persons. But if they have, don't have any history of suicide, then what's the reasoning to not allow that person to have a gun? 54% of all suicides over the past 17 years has been with people that had no history of mental illness. And 48.5% uh, of all suicides were by guns. Guns. 55% of all suicides of those without mental illness were with guns. So the fact that there, are, there is such easy access to guns, we can't take away guns from those who are not mentally ill, right? So there, the, the access to guns is, is a horrible problem because no laws are going to affect that statistic.
because we're not going to take guns or prevent people without mental illness from getting guns. The, la uh, the last thing is strengthening access to care, which is single-payer health care. What could solve that problem better than single-payer health care, including mental illness? So uh, that's everything I wrote down. So, so what this shows me, what I take from this is that we're lost. Our country is lost. And our government is letting us go and pushing us into private industry. So basically, the government, our laws, are being replaced by private industry. Money in politics is not just increasing profits, it's increasing power. And it's not, and it's not just increasing like access to resources. I mean, that's a huge, that's a, one of the biggest things. But they are becoming the government. They're becoming the government. They are paying our politicians to step out of the way and to allow them to become the government. And yes, we have laws, but when the government doesn't offer any programs that help the powerless, then that by default pushes us into private industry and then they can create, effectively create our laws. Perfect example is private insurance industry. They decide what we should get or not get. They decide if, if a procedure is worthy of, ha uh, is appropriate for us. And so now a for-profit industry is going to decide what's best for us medically. Um, so I think that's all I got. Um, let me read through some comments here. I gotta get my glasses. Uh, okay, I agree about the mentally ill being accustomed to, to, to crisis and trauma. Okay, 45 to 60, you're looking at retirement age and ageism in the marketplace and little to no money to live on. And, and that's also the age of, I'm the age, 46. I'm the age that knows nothing but this austerity. We grew up in this neoliberalism. We, we know nothing but neoliberalism. And 45 years old is, a, is basically just as old as when neoliberalism really took hold, starting with Reagan. And I think I even understand some with Jimmy Carter. So, oh, I remember. What I didn't realize, what just came to me, oh, I was talking to Victor Tiffany, um, is that Bernie didn't just teach us that money in politics is the root of all evil. Bernie also taught us that our lives are bad. And that even though we don't know, we have never experienced better, that there is a better world out there for us. He taught us that things can be better, that we have settled, that we know nothing but settling, and that we can fight for these things. So, you know, the minimum wage not being hooked to inflation, 
so it's stagnated. So wages stagnated since the 19, I guess, 82, whatever it is. And because it's not hooked to inflation, every single increase has to be fought tooth and nail for. It has to be, a, you know, I guess, appropriations. It has to be fought every single increase. And it hasn't happened. We're still at 725. We're still at 725, which is like a third of a living wage. And we're fighting for 15, which is still not really what it should be. So uh, I lost my point. Damn, I'm all over the place here. So the fact that it's not hooked to inflation means that we have to fight every single increase. And we've not gotten any in a long time. So it has to be hooked to something. Um, I think I was going to say that you know, when you, when you set your expectations so low, the fights... No, money in politics creates a million fights. So when a national law is taken away, and now the states can each decide what what they want to do in terms of that particular law, like for example, Medicare, they could decide what age it wants to be. Just go with me here. Now you have 50 fronts on which to fight and it's so much more difficult. It should just be a national law. And although I'm going all over the place here, the hooking to inflation is like a similar thing because hooking to inflation makes it that we don't have to fight every single time. Um, I guess it's a pretty loose analogy, but Desperate for better coping skills. Yeah, but you know what? I mean, I agree with that. I'm not saying that's wrong, but why do we have to have a society that, this horrible that we have to be pushed to this these extremes, you know? Money over life. Yeah. Money has taken over politics. Money has taken over politics. And until money gets out of politics they will continue to miseducate us about modern money. And doing so makes it seem like we can't have nice things. We can't. It's not possible. It's not possible to have nice things. That's what politicians and the media tells us. It is not possible to have nice things. Oh, we really wish that you could have them. But we just can't because it's not possible. And what modern money, if you understand modern money, then you know that they're lying or they're incredibly misunderstanding. Because the truth is not that they can't. The truth is that they won't. The truth is that they have decided not to. Because by not giving us these things, these nice things, private industry gets to profit, private industry gets to become the law, effectively become the law and the government. And so not only do they get to profit off of us, they get to keep us powerless. Power is relative. I learned this from Caitlin Johnstone. Power is relative. You cannot stay powerful unless you actively try and keep other people powerless. Medicare for all is not just better health care. It is empowering because health care, uh, single-payer health care, unchange you from your job so you can move to other jobs and you can run for office. You can run for office. If you have Medicare for all, if you have single-payer health care, you can leave your job without fear of losing your health care and run for office. 
And that's what they don't want. So these things are not just, we need better health care. These things are keeping us powerless. Money will never get out of politics. Well, that's rather cynical, but it's, I mean, it's a Ponzi scheme. Neoliberalism is a Ponzi scheme. Catherine Trambley taught me this. Taught me this. I'm about to release our interview audio of that with my talk with her. Uh, neoliberalism is a Ponzi scheme, and it keeps getting more and more and more desperate. Austerity keeps getting more and more and more severe, which is why uh, my kids' generation is the first one, or maybe me, ours, that is not that is worse off than our parents were. I see our parents' generation as incredibly spoiled. Unbelievably spoiled. I'm cynical, but in a different way. I mean, I, I'm cynical about what is, Ashley. I'm cynical about what is. I choose not to be about cynical about what could be. I'm not naive on how hard it's going to be. And But... Like, for example, Nina Turner shared that horrible thing, even though she's an, uh, an idol. I really look up to her. I have faith that she can learn and that she's interested in learning. She just doesn't know because she's among the vast majority that has been miseducated our entire lives. How could she know better? But it's really important to reach her. And I wrote some tweets. I posted it on Citizens Media TV. I linked to the tweets. Telling, saying to her, this is wrong. <laughs> this is really wrong. And the president of the order revolution to say this is just really bad. I need help reaching her though. I can't reach her. She's a, she's a celebrity and I'm not. Therefore, I can't reach her. I need help reaching her. So share the tweet. I mean, whatever it takes. Someone's got to reach her to, and then, you know, be trusted enough that she can listen and be, you know, shaken out of that. Um, so I have faith that that she is willing to learn. She's not done learning, but reaching her and gaining that trust in order to to make that attempt. That's rough. That's rough. Um, okay, let me see. Uh, I still like you, even though you're cynical, Ashley. We need to stop re-electing the same people. You think? Um, like people in Great Britain have such a horrible time with NHS. They have a horrible time with NHS because, yeah, this is, this is the cycle of neoliberalism, or I think it's neoliberalism, Republican, whatever it is, is great programs are replaced with private programs because they're underfunded and sabotaged. And then later, after some time has passed, they say, see, that failed. It's not good enough. We got to go privatize it. That's what's happening with the VA, the Veterans Administration. That's what's happening with an NHS. It's not being properly funded. And I can only imagine it's also being significantly sabotaged. Um, that's why it's not good. That's why it's not good. I think single-parent insurance is extremely limiting to the patient. Okay, maybe so. I'm not having that debate right now. But the concept of pushing us to private industry, private industry versus public, um, I trust 
the government much more than I trust for-profit industry. No, our current government is corrupt, um, but being able to change the government and filling it with people that deserve to be there, that, that you know, people like us, I think the chances of that are much greater than fixing the for-profit industry to suddenly care about the people. Um, so, I don't know. I've been, this has been all over the place. I appreciate your listening and sticking around. Um, but this, I think, I see this increase, this dramatic increase in suicide as the perfect symbol of how our world is being destroyed by neoliberalism. And I find it remarkable that many of my friends are perpetuating it. As they're perpetuating it. They are fearful of the Republican and pushing candidates that could be so much better. Uh, pushing, pushing for candidates that could be so much better and not allowing those candidates to be pushed to be even better than that, to be scrutinized, to be scrutinized. That's a better way of saying it. They don't allow those candidates to be scrutinized because the only way those candidates can win is by a squeaker, is, is with a squeaker, a small margin of victory. So if you push them, you may destroy that margin of victory and help the Republican. And since if the Republican gets in, people will die. People will, I mean, you know, true devastation, just like when Trump got in, if Trump gets in, people will die. If, you know, even local politicians get in, people will die. We can't afford it. So let's just get the Democrat in and then we'll talk about it after the election. And this is the perpetual, perpetual, perpetual uh, delaying tactic. And unfortunately, I'm never going to do this again. I'm never going to accept it again. I'm not doing it. I'm just allowing it to happen, which is upsetting. Um, but at some point, we're going to have to sacrifice ourselves. I don't mean our lives, but in some way, we're going to have to sacrifice ourselves in order to save future generations. Because we're reaching the end of this Ponzi scheme where it's going to explode. And until we get off of this perpetual any blue, just vote for any blue. Let's just prevent the Republican from getting in. No, that's what's killing us. And maybe it'll help us survive through a couple more years, but it's destroying our, our future. It's destroying us. It's destroying our country. It's, we're in a really bad spot and doing whatever it takes just to prevent the next Republican from getting in is really short-sighted. It's really short-sighted. And yes, I realize that that will cause death and true suffering, but it doesn't change the fact that it's short-sighted. 
you know, gas prices might go up. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But our society, the fabric of our society is ending. And until we stop this cycle, um, we're in a really bad spot. And what's going to seem like a total shift, the Russian narrative is really, really not to determine what happened in 2016. I am not saying that something didn't happen. I'm sure something did happen. But it wasn't that much. Certainly not in comparison to what the Democratic Party and the media did. What I see the Russian narrative as being is that they are starting to fear that the progressive movement is actually slowly becoming successful. And the Russian narrative is not because they were they are so concerned about determining what happened in 2016. It is in preparation for 2020 for people like me who refuse to accept this perpetual uh, this uh, delaying tactic anymore. And I am going to scrutinize Democratic candidates that are better than Republicans. And I have a strong feeling that people that I consider my friends now are not going to consider me friends when I start doing that, even if I do it as appropriately as possible. And that Russian narrative is going to be used to call people like me uh, what do you call it? A useful idiot. And on the small chance that Bernie wins in 2020, it is not a coincidence, in my opinion, my speculation, that they're saying that the Russia, that Russia chose something like chose Trump to win. And I'm not saying it exactly correct here, but not only are they using this in preparation to label the whole movement, Bernie himself and all of his supporters like me, who are going to start scrutinizing Democrats that are better than Republicans, but not much more than that, as useful idiots, as Russia stooges, whatever you call it. Not only is it for trying to crush the, the Bernie movement, the progressive movement during the Democratic primaries in 2020, starting next year, less than a year now, Bernie declared less than four years ago. Um, it is also in the off chance that Bernie wins to invalidate that win. That's my speculation. That's my speculation. So um, we're in a really bad spot. We're in a really bad spot. And I think that this study of the increasing suicides is one of the more stark demonstrations of that. Um, and, uh, and that's all. I don't know how I really have anything else to say. Um, I just... 
this seems like the clearest evidence that of just how far off the rails we have been for 17 years, 30% higher uh, suicide rates. Um, why? Why? Why did that happen? And coincidentally, it is as neoliberalism ratchets up. And I thought, I thought uh, neoliberalism, neoliberal was just a derogatory term. I really thought that it was just a derogatory term like, you know, Bernie bro, whatever, just a made up thing. But actually here, these really, really reputable economists use this term of neoliberalism that is effectively giving up our democracy to private industry, of trusting the private industry to, you know, that's better than the government, free market. Um, and the only, re only difference between Democrats and Republicans is social issues. Nothing that affects the pocketbooks, nothing that affects the pocketbooks is different between the Democratic Party and the Republican Party. Only social issues. Um, so, all right, I see Jeff, so I'm just say uh, say a couple things that he made me think of, which, as I said before, when you learn modern money, you realize that when politicians and media says that we can't give, we would love to give you these things, but we can't, the truth is we don't want to give you these things. We don't want to give you these things. That's the truth. We don't want to. We won't. Not that we can't, we won't. Um, and I like something that Jeff said earlier, which was in his, in his speech, uh, talk, which was being educated against, uh, being educated on modern money, MMT, modern, modern monetary theory is being inoculated against neoliberalism. You realize you understand, you truly understand what the myths and the miseducation and the lies are so that you can properly respond and understand them respond to them. Um, that's all. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I know that was sort of all over the place, but um, single payer really isn't that limiting. I have friends who are physicians in other countries. Yes. Um, all right. Thank you, everyone, for watching. I think that's all. It's